Well, good afternoon and welcome to your DIY Health Radio here on the Spreaker Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It's Thursday, May 18th, 2023. And uh, normally we talk health, but today is, is, you know, for the last three years or so, we've been talking constitution and history and that kind of stuff. And before we get into that, I'll say check out the website, yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R. DIY, like do it yourself, health, H E A L T H, yourdiyhealth.com. There's all kinds of information there, all the products we talk about are there, including the iTeric Air device featured prominently at the top of the homepage. And there's lots of information about it. Excuse me, all kinds of, uh, there's downloadable flyers, brochures, um, YouTube playlist that has about 130 videos talking about the technology, how it's used, and testimonials from people all over the world have used it and got great resu- results. Ooh, chocolate getting to me. <laughs> anyway, it's a wonderful thing, and uh, you can get one yourself for 380 bucks, delivered right to your door uh, in about two or three days. All you got to do is click the uh, uh, button to go to the dedicated site and hit the order now, and you're off and running just follow the prompts um other than that uh, that's all i'm going to say about that just check out the site have fun if you have any questions uh, hit the contact me button and to find out more about the shows we do when they're on and how you listen hit the radio shows tab and you'll also find a um, t- uh, what do you call it uh, archive page <laughs> set up through castbox.fm as well as facebook channel and youtube channel so, that being said, uh, we've got Mike and Cal and DW with us today. We're going to be talking, I'm not sure what, but more about Constitution, history, government, that kind of stuff. Next week, as far as I know, we will be having a uh, uh, kind of a dedication, being that Memorial Day is following Monday. We're going to have a dedication for uh, or a special show devoted to Martin and Holiday. And one of their daughters, I believe, will be with us. Uh, and Michael fill us more in about that and uh, let him handle that but i just want to say welcome guys and uh, take it away hey thanks jim uh it's uh, great to be here again buddy i'm uh, you know thank goodness i'm feeling a lot better than yeah, i have been sound a lot uh, better for the past couple of weeks uh and uh just wanted to you know a couple of things that i want to bring up before we really jump into anything else and these are impromptu things that have happened one of them happened today and one of them happened previously but you know I got a uh, text message from uh, uh, I guess it's the people's choice or some group something that's you know all about freedom and everything else and uh, evidently someone had uh, sent them my contact information or something but anyway I got a, uh, a text message from them and I went to their page to take a look they gave me a link at the Georgia page and uh, Georgia is divided up into districts for their, you know, whatever you call it. So I went there to look. And the thing that perplexed me right off the bat was the fact that everything that they said they stand for has to do with supporting and defending the Constitution and Bill of Rights. And, you know, and then when I ask a question of a friend this morning whose daughter is involved with this group, I asked him, I said, how how can you ever reach people that are like this and you know and her response was well you know gosh uh, what else are we going to do if we don't have the constitution and bill of rights what else are we going to do so it prompted me to write something very short 
but I would like uh, you folks input on this and here's what I wrote someone please help me understand this alleged logic quote okay so the food that I am eating is poisonous and most likely will kill me and everyone around me but I'm not going to stop eating it until you find me something better to eat unquote now just replace the word food with Constitutional Bill of Rights so let me repeat it with that okay so the Constitution and the Bill of Rights that I am following is poisonous and most likely will kill me and everyone around me but I'm not going to give it up until you find me something better how in the Dickens guys does that ever make any sense I am poisoning myself I am killing people I'm supporting something that will kill all of the people around me in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights we know it doesn't work we've got 235 years of experience telling us it does not work and yet people think well I can't give it up until you give me something else in other words I'm an addict of government if this government doesn't work under the Constitutional Bill of Rights I'm not leaving it until you give me something else I I'm I'm sorry guys that logic has just completely destroyed me and let me get to the second part of my uh, what I did and that was the simple thing you know about Patrick Henry who said very eloquently this government under this Constitution provides no way for us to protect our rights nor to protect us from tyrants Patrick Henry said that very open on June the 5th 1787 why do people not believe him and then the second point I wanted to make and then I'd like for you guys to jump in here and this is what I wrote I continue in awe of those who believe everything was just peachy in this country until Abraham Lincoln they seem to be totally oblivious to the unconstitutional acts of the very first administration led by Alexander Hamilton Washington was the first puppet not the first president the absolute tyranny of the sedition act under John Adams and 30 plus years of judicial tyranny in the Supreme Court under Chief Justice John Marshall Abraham Lincoln just used the tools of despotism and tyranny provided by his predecessors under the Constitution it's all precedent don't you know as Patrick Henry noted from the beginning there is absolutely nothing in the Constitution to protect the people from tyrants just look how well the Bill of Rights worked to protect the rights of the people under Abraham Lincoln was there even one of those ten amendments which wasn't ground to dust in the north the South and the border states under the boots of Lincoln's Marxist army and the Marxist Republican Congress if the Constitution and the Bill of Rights hasn't worked to restrain tyrants for over 230 years you have to be a special kind of stupid to think it's going to work now so guys Cal DW guys help me out I'm, I'm so perplexed with people it's unreal 
Are you there, Cal? Yeah, I'm here. I'm in on the Jitsi oh. board. Oh, okay. Well, Mike, uh, good to hear you're doing better. Good to hear that. I've been, I've been covered up here with. If I'm not working on diesels, I'm trying to figure out how to build a house. So you can, you, you can imagine. I'm not paying much attention to the news. Good for me. Uh, well, I mean, you, you've kind of, uh, as usual, boiled it down to the bare essence. You've re, refined it uh, down to the uh, the disease. And uh, why why do they why do they want you to provide them something new? Because well, they a couple reasons maybe they don't they don't have any imagination. They're not curious, and they have no creativity um, outside of what gives them pleasure. <clears throat> and um, another reason might be Mike that they are uh, ignorant fools who uh, who are to some degree uh, viable in a unvirtuous system and they have their material they have their material uh, 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 gains and uh, they want to retain that at all cost um, you know it's um, Let's see, what did I write? I wrote something about that today, Mike. What did I write? Uh, yeah. Um, this is, yeah. The, uh, well, they, they're, they're assimilated, okay. They, they're, they're in a, they're in, they've been assimilated in, the, in a system, and the system moves slowly. By moving slowly, your own natural affinity towards material cowardice has been generationally leveraged against your own best interest. By going slow and assimilating these people, uh, their their natural responses don't kick in, even though they're feeling some pain and experience. But uh, <clears throat> you know, it's it's always a it's always a question for me as to uh, why people willfully remain ignorant and demonstrate uh, absolute uh, cowardice, which is why I don't have a lot of close friends because they uh, cowardice men uh, don't really like to spend much time around me. I make them very uncomfortable. Uh, you, do you know the feeling, guys? <laughs> And uh, the last thing I would say about it, Mike, is that they are their ignorance knows no bounds, and that they they don't have any foundational uh, their understanding or comprehension or awareness of history has no foundational principles in it. They uh, they have no no. Uh, uh, perception of the Articles of Confederation. They don't know what the word democracy actually means. They don't know what the word republic actually means. They don't 
they're illiterate too, Mike. They're ignorant and they're illiterate. And I'm a horse's patootie for pointing out that you're incompetent to be a part of the your own conversation, and that uh, you've never learned anything, and you want uh, my daddy or somebody else to provide you with the perfect answer. I. I was thinking this morning at about 8 o'clock this morning, I go, how many times does Mike have to tell people the truth and provide them the evidence before they get it? And I, I, I think I'll be long dead and gone before that they respond to that, Mike. So uh, that's just my impressions. Cal, jump in here. Your turn. <laughs> well, you know, people... The powers that be understand this. People in their human nature need something to believe in. And so the powers that be put out this constitution or put out whatever to give something people to something to believe in. I mean, this is this has gone on since mankind has been around, all the way from pagan religions all the way up through Christianity. People need something to believe in. Um, so people believe in this constitution because they've been told and taught and indoctrinated to believe in it against all evidence that it's not working, but they cannot let go of that belief because they don't have anything else to believe in. So let's look back to say around the 1765 up until 1775. Well, the people back then believed in the divine right of the king. What? Other, what we, I mean, the, the king's oppressing us, but what can we do? I mean, he's the king. We can't do anything else. We have to believe in the king. And then the narrative was born, and it came through the pubs and the pulpits that there's something else to believe in, and that is your rightful liberty that comes from your creator. I mean, when those Minutemen met the Redcoats at Lexington and Concord, they were loyal British subjects yet they took up arms against their fellow British subjects to defend their rights and I think that's what's missing is people don't understand or believe in their rights they don't believe in their rightful liberty which is blows my mind because you know as Christians you're taught that you know and through the Declaration of Independence, we're taught that, well, the, my rightful liberty comes from my creator, or my rightful liberty comes from God. And yet, people don't believe in that. I mean, once you grasp hold of rightful liberty, and you believe in that, you're able to let all this other stuff go, because you believe in what your creator gave you. And if you don't believe in what your creator gave you, you're going to believe in what man gave you, and who controls man. Is man evil or is he good? Inherently evil. Well, okay. guys. So anything great. man creates is going to you know, inherently be evil. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be, but it most probably is. And this government is most assuredly evil. I mean, look at what it does. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I just... I just think if people understood rightful liberty and understood what their rights were, and that change comes from the hearts and minds of each individual, 
Everybody's trying to change everyone else, and they're not willing to change themselves. Well, very excellent answers from both you gentlemen. Now I'm going to hit you with the big question. Was Alexander Hamilton correct in his letters to John Jay, to uh, Dwayne, to George Washington, to James Madison? Was he correct when he said the masses of people are incapable of governing themselves? Uh, it's a, that's a pretty easy answer for me. Uh, I, I would answer it with uh, uh, yes. <laughs> we can go on for hours. Cal? Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, D.W. Uh, no, go I would I'm, say yeah, I'm, I'm, the people just, are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you wouldn't have been given free will or rightful liberty if you weren't capable of doing it. It's whether or not you choose to do it or not. And perhaps that's the whole reason why mankind's on earth, to learn to choose to do the right thing. Not to be forced to do the right thing. Not to do the right thing because if you don't, you're going to be punished. But to do the right thing because you chose to do the right thing chose to be righteous mm -hmm. and exercise your righteous liberty. And I think well, it, it, and, yeah. and that's a choice every individual has to make. I can't make that choice for Mike. I can't make that choice for Sarge. I can't make that choice for DW or Scorpio or Murr. I can only make that choice for me. And I well, would just hope that other Cal, people would make a similar choice. What if I said that the human beings are prone to always take the path of least resistance. In other words, the least work. So it, why should I believe anything you guys are teaching me that the Constitution is bad or the Bill of Rights is bad because it makes me uncomfortable and I would prefer not to think about that how does that relate to Hamilton's comment that the people are incapable of governing themselves? It fits right in. Well, you I, give them I, an easy way out, Mike. That's what the Constitution is. It's an easy way out. Nobody said rightful liberty was going to be easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's, you know, uh, that was really well said, Cal. Uh, uh, there's, there's sort of like three categories here. There's, uh, there's a self-determination, uh, predetermination, and manifest destiny. Uh, you know, this sort of works into this. And these are stereotypical uh, platitudes that uh, short-circuit any other uh, thought or consideration. Uh, you know, I, I like to, I like to take relatively abstract and difficult concepts and break them down into what I call the cornbread. Uh, but I, I mean, really, the only reason I do it is just to sort of get your attention a little bit and maybe spark some interest. And in, uh, if there's any, if there's any dry kindling left in your, in your noggin, uh, just just a, just a little spark. Uh, what what it really takes is that you, as an individual, the individual that Cal's referring to, uh, well said, Cal. Uh, that individual uh, has to apply 
be responsible and apply the effort and the work to uh, be uh, an adult. Um, and, and an adult with the objective of what your, your principles are. Now, Cal referred to Christian principles, and uh, of course, these have been uh, diluted, uh, subverted, and reimagined uh, over, you know, the last hundred, you know, take your pick, you know, uh, at least the last 125 years has been a pretty major assault on those principles and a reinterpretation and an adaption generationally of the people to what those principles are to, to the point now that they can't be recognized. They, they literally are heresies and blasphemies. And, and so, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, how, how, do, how do do-gooders, that's the, old, that's the old terminology, you know, these do-gooders, uh, or the social justice warriors, that's a newer term, or the virtue signalers, that's a, a relatively modern term, of the do-gooders. These are all do-gooders, and they uh, are, you know, trying to uh, appease their consciousness, and it it really is interesting because it, it works with what both of you guys are saying. It, it follows the path of least resistance. Is that the uh, the majority of people? It's been my been my experience anyway. Will follow that path of least resistance, is which what water does, electricity does, and um, uh, you know, I, I guess everybody has their own reason why they do that. I don't. Uh, I. Uh, I used to be well, really disappointed in people, but I, I don't not so much anymore because I don't have any expectation of them. Well, that's the key there, DW. No expectations. I'm beginning to see it. One of the things, if I could throw this in there, of course, uh, DW, you're well aware uh, that I live in an RV park, and uh, there are literally hundreds of RVs here. Uh, some on a, on a semi-permanent basis, and others on a temporary basis. Well, this past week, I learned from some of the people uh, in the office that we now have here in the RV park a huge group of homeschoolers that decided to meet here as kind of a uh, conference for their people uh, who teach, uh, you know, their own children. And you know, for a long time, I was very much an advocate of that but I talked to one of the administrators here and uh, I talked to them about their program they you know there's probably you know maybe 50 60 uh, young people who are here at the conference center that are being uh, you know in their homeschool group and talking about different things and I asked one of the administrators of the group a really seem, seems to be a very intelligent woman. I asked her, I said, well, if you don't mind me asking, in your homeschool group, what are your texts or what is your teaching instruments for history? 
And she was very quick to tell me, oh, we don't do history in this group. History is a waste of time. And I said, really? And she said, yes, our homeschool decided back at its very inception that history was a distraction from learning. So again, guys, I ask you, if we go back, we look at Marcus Tullius Cicero, which I mentioned to her in a quote, uh, uh, George Santayana, which I mentioned to her in a quote, and to other quotes that I happen to have on hand, she just shrugged her shoulders and walked off. They don't want to know history. And as I told her, then in essence, you don't want to know reality. And, of course, you know, she decided that maybe she didn't want to talk to me anymore, and she left. But how do you see that, guys? How do you see that uh, concept of they have invaded the homeschooling curriculum to the point that we don't want to know anything about history? It's a distraction. Oh. You go first, Cal. Go ahead, buddy. Well, in the natural order of things, um, future generations are either doomed to destruction or doomed to to slavery. And that's the natural progress of being ignorant. That's that's the result. That's what natural law does. You know, <laughs> you can't get around natural law. You can you, you can try to avoid it for a while, but it's going to catch up to you whether it's this generation, the next generation, the next generation. I mean, you know, my grandkids live in more servitude than I did when I was a kid. And, you know, we're desperately getting out here trying to, trying to reverse that, point it out to people. But, you know, as an individual, I can only do what an individual can do. The rest of it's up to the rest of you as individuals. But yeah, that I, I, in natural order, I mean, if you don't evolve and you don't adapt, you perish. That's just all there is to it. And part of understanding your adaptation is to understand history. This works, this don't work. You know, hey, that's a poisonous mushroom. Don't eat it. Well, history tells me that's a poisonous mushroom. Well, we're going to ignore history. I'm going to eat that poisonous mushroom. So what's going to happen? And then if you know somebody doesn't learn from that history. Well, the next generation comes along, eats that poisonous mushroom, and dies. It, 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 that's how nature works. We are creatures of nature. Mm -hmm. Well, Mike, uh, that's an interesting story. Uh, just by chance, in a, in a limited conversation you have with this uh, this lady, uh, did she happen to mention what the curriculum did involve? If they weren't teaching history, what were they teaching? <laughs> well, according to her, they concentrate on math and science. Mm. Well, uh, but not not so much uh, math and science. So somewhere in there, they get a smattering of uh, English and uh, words. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, uh, just to uh, Cal uh, and DW, tomorrow, just for uh, fun and games, 
I'm going to go down uh, to their uh, lecture tomorrow. I didn't have a chance to do it before tomorrow, but I'm going down tomorrow and sit and listen. Mm -hmm. I asked if I could, and they said, oh, sure, you're welcome. Anyone's welcome to come in. You know, you just can't comment, but you can come in and listen. So I'm going to go listen to exactly how they're approaching homeschool. But I thought, wrongfully so, as is obvious now, I thought homeschooling was our only chance. But I see now that they have a way of even infiltrating that to the point to where you don't teach young people the truth. Mike, can I jump in here real quick? Uh, it's not my board. It's uh, Jim's, so uh, it's up to Jim. Jim. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm kind of chomping at the bit here. Um, I had an old uh, uh, organic dairyman. He died about a couple years ago. He was 87. And he told me, if you don't know where you came from, how do you know where you're headed? And I don't believe these folks are homeschooling. They're public fooling at home. So I'll yield there. Thank you. I love, love great, great, uh, great program. Thank you. Well, thanks for your comment. And, uh, you know, m much of mine is the same. And I tried to talk to this lady, but she was, she had her barriers up. You know, you know, when you have a conversation with someone, we've all been there when they tolerate you but they're not listening and that was exactly what I got because she was not going to entertain one minute's discussion that history should be a part of their program even when I quoted Marcus uh, Tullius Cicero uh, thanks Murr for putting that up in the chat but I quoted that word for word for her and I also quoted Santiana it, she was impervious. It made no difference. She wasn't listening. So have they manipulated every asset, every possible avenue to revealing the fraud that we're dealing with with this government? Are they covering every base? Cal, DW, whoever, go ahead. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they intentionally covered every base. These teachers or educators, whoever they are, parents, whoever they are, where were they educated? You've got trained monkeys training trained monkeys now. So mm. this yeah. mom or parent, whoever you were talking to, no doubt her education came from the same government indoctrination center the rest of us all attended. And since, you know, she's not aware of the truth or might have heard it but doesn't accept it, uh, she's not going to listen to it. That's how indoctrinated people are. And this was the powers that be understand this is human nature. This is why well, Cal, back at the turn of the century, the 20th century, you know, the Ford Carnegie and, and Rockefeller foundations took over the education system. Well, one of the things that really troubled me, Cal, is this lady kept emphasizing to me the Christian basis of their learning. That's well, I, that's troubling well, to me. What, what, yeah, well, what she's saying is, in order to be a Christian, you have to be ignorant. Is that true? I mean, if I said that to a Christian, they'd all get upset. Y'all get upset at me if I say that. Well, this is what's going on. 
I mean, on your teach me thing on Messenger today, Vicky asked, you know, is, in your opinion, is a is the Constitution a Christian document? I mean, uh, most people will tell you yes because that's what they've been told, and that's what their pastors have told them, and they've believed it. Is it true? I would say no. Not no, but no. Well, are, are you required to believe that to be a Christian? Well, if so, don't call me a Christian because this Constitution doesn't follow anything that I read about Christ in the Bible. So if, if that's what it means to be Christian, I don't want to be in your club. <laughs> well, the, I'll take the, the rest of liberty the Creator gave three. me, and I'll go with that. Article 6, Clause 3 denies Christ. Sorry there, I didn't mean to step on you, buddy. No, no, that's that's fine. I, and this is this is what I'm saying, and, and that's how evil works. If you were the if you were the master deceiver, Satan or whatever you want to call him, wouldn't you do stuff like this? Wouldn't you take the truth and twist it just a bit to make oh, people absolutely. think they're being righteous when really they're being evil? I mean, <laughs> the Crusades they were carried out you know, to pick up the cross of Christ and go over and. You know, in the first crusade, the people's crusade, they, the first thing they did was slaughter a bunch of Jews in the Rhine Valley. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's that that's what Christ would do. And I'm just, I don't know. Sorry. <sighs> Go ahead. I yield. DW. Yeah, there's there's a lot of history there that supports uh, both what you're saying. Uh, there's been. Uh, you know, a long time ago, uh, I, I recognized, you know, just with my limited amount of uh, history that I, I had observed in my, my short life when I was younger, I, I realized that uh, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of people were uh, murdered and uh, killed uh, associated with religion. And... Uh, uh, Christianity was associated with that, uh, and uh, so this is this has been a, ongoing for a long time. There was a try. I don't I don't remember his name. I could I could dig it up, uh, and I'll have to paraphrase his quote. But uh, and he was an Englishman in the in the 1600s, and he said uh, men. No, I think he said that in the late 1500s. He said, men do evil uh, with more uh, ambition and zeal when they can mask it behind the ideals of Christianity or religion. And uh, no better evidence of that is given than the, uh, the persecution of the Irish uh, being one good example of how you could be a wonderful uh, Calvinist Christian <laughs> and just absolutely revel in the butchery and slaughter of uh, the Irish uh, multiple times, multiple days. <laughs> they didn't do this just for, you know, I... I tend to I tend to get off on in this in this ditch, don't I, Mike? Where I, I bring I drag the Irish into it, uh, because they are 
you know, as Chris Fogarty said, uh, they've all been slaughtered and, and and butchered and and denied, and they're all they're dead. And who's going to speak for them? And uh, but the examples are right there. This this wonderful these wonderful uh, Christians uh, that uh, were just more than happy to slaughter uh, literally hundreds of thousands of them. Um, so this this hypocrisy uh, knows no limits and and uh, I think that this is an example of where you know these people that claim righteousness and piousness of uh, of their association with Christianity uh, actually, and and this is going to be kind of harsh. They take his name in vain. They're not they're not swearing. They're taking his name and his son's name in vain. Because they do evil, and uh, if if that that's a heavy burden upon this nation right here, upon this very nation. So, um, I, <clears throat> I I wish I was more retired than I am, Mike, because I would just love to be sitting in that classroom tomorrow, quietly listening. I'll, 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 I'll fill you in, my friend, on what uh, went on, but I, let me ask you a question in the midst of your comment there. Are you familiar with Thomas Sowell? Oh, yeah, very much. I have a lot of his books. I've, I, I'm very appreciative of Mr. Sowell. Would you uh, be in agreement with me that he's probably one of the most brilliant minds in America? No, No question about it. No, uh, and I don't, no I don't, I don't give a darn what color his skin is. I look at the yeah. man for what he knows and what he says. But I just listened to a recent, you know, and he's well into his 80s now. Uh, but one of the things that I listened to recently was something he said that I didn't realize it was to this magnitude. But he said that more white people from Ireland and Scotland and other areas in Europe were sold into slavery in North Africa a larger number of them than any that even approaches the number of blacks who were sold into servitude in America yes sir yes sir I was I was actually recently aware of that. I didn't get it from Thomas Sowell, but I'm always digging in this area. And I actually mentioned this somewhere else yesterday, is that it's it's been completely expunged, uh, uh, even from the rabbit holes uh, and in British history, English-British history under... Uh, uh, Particularly uh, Queen Elizabeth I's reign, uh, her her reign and uh, administrate the people that were the administrators of that 
were just fantastically huge slavers. They, they, they weren't slaving in America. They were transporting and buying and selling and raiding and slaving all up to East Indies, West Indies, and uh, the African and uh, Arabian coasts. Transporting, buying, selling slaves, and uh, along with their along with their uh, expanding spice trade. And this is this is how Queen Elizabeth's uh, criminal outlaw government uh, helped fund itself, along with piracy. So uh, I got this information. I probably can't lay my hands on it right now, but I paid like 20 bucks for a a uh, oh, did I find it? Yeah, I did. I, I paid like 20 dollars. Um, I went to Michael Hoffman's uh, website, and he had a revisionist history newsletter, and uh, it was uh, the the newsletter, the title of it is uh, The Pirate Queen's Slave Traders, Elizabeth I and the Conjuring of the British Empire. And as if any of you are familiar with Michael Hoffman, which is probably another one of our, our top 100 brilliant minds in America, Mike, would you, would you concur with that? Oh, yes. Uh, he... He writes a, a how many page? It's about ten full page, uh, fifteen, fifteen page um, thesis exposing uh, the British uh, Queen Elizabeth slave trade. Yeah, and uh, uh, if anybody cares to know, uh, Queen Elizabeth was the first real uh, British invader and homicidal maniac of the Irish. Uh, on, on a large scale. Okay, so Thomas Sowell is absolutely correct. No surprise. All of this is just examples of how religion, especially Christianity, is used to deceive the people into accepting evil. And the Constitution has been wrapped in the robes of divinity. And so a lot of people to let go of the Constitution would be the same as letting go of their Christian belief, too, because they're on par with each other. Their Christian beliefs and the Constitution are on par with each other. To let go of one, to them, means they have to let go of the other, not realizing the one is actually antithetical to the other. Not realizing that the Constitution is completely, in my mind, antithetical to anything Christ taught or led his life example by. But most people relate the two as basically one and the same. The Constitution is the New American Bible. I've seen people post that. So that would be part of the reason why they can't let go of it, Mike. Yeah, there. there you there you go using those big words again, Cal. And antithetical. 
<laughs> yeah, watch yourself there, buddy. Polar opposites. There you go. Yeah. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to put twenty-five cents in the big word drawer. Oh, well, guys, one of the things I would like to do at this point is to really thank Murr for publishing the uh, what I said about Article th Article Six, Clause Three, because nothing says it better. Nothing absolutely says it better than what it does, and it says. Oaths of office. Now stop and think about this. That the members of the several state legislatures and the senators and representatives shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support the Constitution. But mm -hmm. no religious test shall ever be required. Which means, mm -hmm. folks, Article 6, Clause 3 makes the Constitution God. In other words, Article 6, Clause 3 declares the First Amendment in favor of government over God. I don't know how else you can say it. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Well, I, I, I can't correct you, but I, I can... I can't support it in that they positively made something uh, uh, they called it law that super that they made every attempt to supersede what was the law that did have a religious inclusion. So they Article Six uh, Clause Three is is your religious exclusion. Uh, whereas before you could have, and you did, and it was included in your um, uh, politics. So uh, I'll just I'll just come right out now and say that if that uh, you know religious is re religiosity or religion is a inherent and inseparable aspect of politics, They're completely inseparable. And um, so, under the Articles of Confederation, uh, you had you had thirteen different republics. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, that's what I said there. Well, D.W., if I may, at this point, and before my old yeah. brain uh, forgets it, can I jump back to using what you just said to the first part of our conversation today? Is the fact okay. that the people accept? the Constitution as God is the reason that they cannot turn loose of the Constitution even though it's destroying them? Well, uh, yeah, it would, it would, uh, see there, there, what, what you've hit upon is, and I, I got to be careful so I don't get fined with the big word uh, penalty here. Um, they're they're holding two separately diametrical things together at the same cognitive time. dissonance, right there, and that's whew, glad I didn't say that. But uh, that's exactly what's happening, and uh, they they if they let go of one or the other, they think their whole worldview and belief system falls apart, and that's just how. Basic it is. I, 
you know, I I know Cal's been doing a really good job here, and everybody who and it, we're trying to tease apart these contradictions, but you know, all we can really do, guys, is just sort of expose and provide people the opportunity to question their own their own uh, cognitive dissonance. Uh, and because, uh, as Cal said, you know, we're just we're just all individuals, and I we can't, nor would I, make choices for you. I that would be that would be ridiculous. I can't make choices for you. Uh, but, um, yeah, um, you know the, the the in the Articles of Confederation under that organization, which uh, Patrick Henry seemed to be fairly amenable to, uh, and other people of uh, religious persuasion and anti-federalists who appreciated rightful liberty and freedom. Uh, they they didn't really have any problem with each of the different republics uh, having their uh, own religious test, right? Isn't that the way it should be? That's one. That's when you had a republic. That gives you the opportunity to vote with your feet. If you're in a state and they adopt something that you feel is uh, you know, anti-Christian or what have you, you have the ability to move. In the United States, under one central command, it doesn't make any difference where you move. They are still in control, the centralized government, mm -hmm. which in essence means that under the Constitution, you no longer had a choice. Your choice had to be the choice of we the people which didn't really exist, and that's one of the greatest moves in history. And Gouverneur Morris should be acclaimed for his ability to completely pervert and destroy any pursuit of rightful liberty with that one three-word phrase, we the people. Now the people who are being oppressed, who are having their money stolen, who everything else, they believe that they are a part of doing that. That is the illusion that was created with that famous phrase, we the people. And put that into Google and watch how many groups of people across this country refer to themselves as we the people. The government is no more we the people than I am the king of Siam. But they believe it. You have to give it to him, and and this was way before Edward Bernays. And, oh yes, uh, Joseph Goebbels uh, and and the propagandists. This was way before that guy. <laughs> you know, uh, but that would that would be history, and I don't know why that would be. Why is that relevant? It's history, Mike. Come on. Yeah, I know. But how shrewd do you have to be to get a people to believe? that they are involved and they have a say-so in their own destruction other than that famous phrase, we the people. Well, it, it leads you to believe that you can vote and make a difference because, you know, because you're a part of something. And, uh, ah, yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> 
that's a that's a I yeah I we 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 lost uh, the the republic was lost uh, when the Articles of Confederation were uh, usurped. Uh, that was. That was that was the that's when the republic was lost, and and so that's why earlier in the conversation I um, I'm going to use the big word here excoriated to anybody that it's whose feelings it hurts when I say you're illiterate is you don't understand you don't have no you don't even have a comprehension you can't you couldn't if your life depended on it tell anybody coherently what a republic is. But yet you you'll listen to people blather all uh, on all day about it. This uh, who's this uh, this character? We, we, we uh, got a republic SGT, if you can keep it. SGT report, you know this Sean guy who would never show you his picture. I mean, how ugly do you have to be to never show your face? I guess. But uh, he, you know he's always talking about the republic. The republic. Well, what a, what a blathering idiot and. You know, have you guys noticed this? You know, guys like that will post, and and two hours later, there's five thousand views. And uh, I've seen I've seen uh, other things on YouTube where they post, and within an hour, there's there's fifty thousand views. Okay, and and it's the most the silliest stuff. And and it just it goes to show me. I, I mean, I kind of look at those numbers to see uh, what has people's attention. Okay, and they're not. They haven't decided to become serious enough yet. They haven't suffered enough co consequences uh, to become serious yet. Mike, Cal, maybe they're just not serious enough uh, yet. What has it got? To, what's it going to take for it to become serious? Yeah, I don't know. Have any of you guys read Anthem by Anne Rand? Oh, yes, many years ago. So in that, she kind of explains the evil of the word we. Yes. And that's what I got from that. And so the mm -hmm. Constitution starts with what word? We. We. Not I. We. In other words, I'm thinking for all of you out there. When I say we, I'm speaking for you. But I can't speak for you because I'm just me. And so that we the people, it not only is completely wrong, it also sets a mindset of collectivism. Well, it's for, it's for the general welfare of everybody, Cal, when you <laughs> <Yeah>. say we. <laughs> well, you, you know, you just, you what, what is... What a stroke of genius for him to put that in there. I mean, you know, you stop and think about it. Of course, he was the, the consummate lawyer. He was a master of word salad. And he was under the direct control of none other than Alexander Hamilton. And Hamilton made, and uh, Cal referred to this on Facebook, but Hamilton wrote a letter to Rufus King near the end of the convention and said, uh, please, uh, I must be there at the end to contribute, you know, whatever it was he needed to do. But he had to be there near the end. Well, near the end is when the uh, Committee of Style and Arrangement, which Hamilton happened to be a member, which he shouldn't have been, 
because New York no longer had a vote, because they no longer had a quorum. He shouldn't have been included at all, but he was. And Gouverneur Morris, of course, became the penman of the uh, preamble and of the Constitution. He put things into the Constitution that had been voted down by the Committee of the Whole. He changed uh, punctuation from, uh, uh, from commas to semicolons and other stuff as only a lawyer could to give it powers of interpretation. And he uh, does this wonderful preamble that we all now, or not all of us, but so many people think, oh, how wonderful is that preamble. No, it's the chains that bind you. We the people. Here were the Federalists who were writing against a democracy. We don't want anything to do with a democracy because a democracy it just will not work. And all of their letters back and forth to each other, the Federalists, but then what does Gouverneur Morris say? We the people, a majority of we the people decide everything for everyone. It was a beautiful act of manipulation. But you can't get Bubis to see that today because unfortunately you can't expect someone to understand, understand the in-depthness of this entire procedure who can't make change for a dollar. And maybe, you know, these homeschool people with math and science may be right in some respects because, again, I've seen I don't know how many people today at, uh, you know, various institutions that can't make change for money without the uh, electronic device to tell them how much change to give. They're just totally lost. We have dumbed down this population to incredible levels. And I see it every day. They don't want to know the truth. The truth makes them uncomfortable. Tell me a comfortable lie and turn on the game. I, I just don't see, gentlemen, please help me out here. Can this country survive under this circumstance? My vote before we even talk about it is absolutely not. We are doomed for destruction. And the people of this country are more responsible for the destruction of this country than is this crooked government we have. Help me out, guys. No, no, no argument here. Uh, yeah, on the, on the uh, president... Uh, I'll use an aviation term here. So, on the present vector that we're on, the vectors have a direction and they have a force. So it, it, it's a it's a line. So it's a direction of force. That the path that we're on uh, results in. Uh, Irrevocable consequences uh, for uh, present and future generations. The likes of uh, we can't uh, only imagine is the uh, the people are going along with a dystopia that is the uh, the predator class's utopia. Their utopia is going to be your dystopia, and you're just getting a taste of it now. Just a little bit of seasoning, a little bit of seasoning right now. You're just getting a little taste of it, 
and because uh, it, it it hasn't really picked up steam yet. You know, there was a uh, what was that? Uh, I actually have it on videotape, uh, Mike. It was back in uh, uh, the fall, of, the winter of 2001. It might have been just after the first year in 2002, but there was a, a Russell Means. Remember, remember him? <laughs> was it Russell Means or it was a uh, Russell uh, Means? I've actually met and talked with. Uh, might have been another guy. Uh, he was a professor. He's an Indian, uh, and he's a professor, and he he caused quite a a uh, hullabaloo because uh, right after the 9/11, oh baby. The chickens Churchill? have come home to roost. Uh, His name was Churchill. How do you say, Mer? His name was Churchill. Churchill. Yeah, thank you. God, <laughs> yeah. How do you how do you get through one of these shows without Mer? I don't know how you do it. You can't you do it, Mer. You can't. She does like everything. That. People think that we fight, but I love her. So uh, anyway, I have it on videotape. And I'm glad I I'm glad I taped it way back then, and uh, I saved it. And uh, th this is this is what we're experiencing now. The chickens have come home to roost. They laid their, as the Bible would call them, the cockatrice cockatrice eggs have hatched. And the the egg the the hatching of a cockatrice is a like a, a spider and a and a snake, and uh, it's a venomous, poisonous thing. Eggs of a cockatrice—they've come home. They had—they laid their eggs. They've hatched, and this is part of this cultural uh, revolution. And uh, what amazes me is the just uh, even at, to the extent that we're in a in the throes of a escalating and deepening cultural revolution that goes beyond the 60s people still can't even really identify the enemy and talk about and use its language and well dw uh, and cal and uh, anyone else, I'd like to ask you a question. Are any of you familiar with a gentleman by the name of Floyd Red Crow Westerman? No. Cal? No. Well, Floyd Red Crow Westerman was an Indian actor. He was a member of the Sioux uh, people, the Lakota. And he was an actor in, uh, what was that uh, famous Kevin Costner movie? You know, where he was... Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves. with Wolves. All right, that's one. He was also on the series with Chuck Norris for a while, you know, whatever that thing was that Norris did. But anyway, very, you know, one of those, you look back at life and you think about one of those really fortunate things. Susanna and I 
love to go to Indian powwows because of our former association with the Navajo, with the Tohono Autumn, with the Oglala Sioux, and with others. We love to go to the powwows because it's just such a neat place to be. Well, you know, probably 20 plus years ago, we were at an Indian powwow. And uh, we had just listened to some of the lectures and some of the other stuff. And we went over, it was like 11 o'clock at night, and we decided we'd go get uh, just a snack before we turned in. So we went to the concession stand, and we decided we wanted some fry bread, you know, a traditional Indian dish. And while we're there, I look over at the picnic tables, and there's only one person sitting at one of these tables. Of course, like I said, it's 11 o'clock at night. The, the uh, shows are shutting down. And I looked over, and I tapped Susanna on the shoulder, and I probably wasn't as quiet as I meant to be. And I said, Honey, is that the guy that was in Dances with Wolves, the chief? And all of a sudden, I heard this comment come from him, and he said, yep, you got it. And I turned and looked, and he had a smile on his face, and he said, hey, when you guys get your food, you want to come over and sit down and join me? And I thought, oh, man, what a chance is this? So Susanna and I went over and sat down with him. He, uh, Susanna immediately uh goes back to, you know, to get a book for him that uh, is involved with Dances with Wolves, and she wants his uh, signature on the book or his uh, uh, autograph. And so we sit and talk till like 3.34 in the morning, just the three of us. And what a lesson that was, because you just alluded to it. And Floyd Red Crow Westerman said, you know, and he was a very funny person, God rest his soul, a very funny guy. He was an excellent musician, which I learned at that powwow. But he he had some classic comments, and he's and we talked about this very thing that payback is hell. And he was alluding to that exact thing. You people are about to experience on yourselves what you brought on us. And so we talked about it. We were open in our discussions. And he, one of the things that was amazing was he said he had a, uh, uh, <laughs> pardon me, he had a T-shirt collection. And we were laughing about his T-shirts. He said, here, look at this one. And on one of the t-shirts, it said, the Indians discovered Columbus. And I said, oh, well, that's that, that's nice. I, I said, that one's cool. He said, well, let me show you this one. He pulls out another t-shirt, and it says, my heroes have always killed cowboys. And I went, hmm, <laughs> okay. But anyway, it was a wonderful discussion. It was an open discussion. And he had so many valid points. He said, payback is coming for the coming for the white race for what they did to the indigenous peoples of this country when they got here. He said, people don't know that the first slaves of the Europeans who came to America, the first slaves were American Indians. 
They were not blacks. They made slaves of the Indians early on, especially in New England. And what a well, conversation. What a brilliant man. I, I, you know, that is just one of those things. Susanna and I have talked about this on multiple occasions. How fortunate were we that he happened to be sitting there that night. And, you know, he also gave us a lesson on fry bread. I don't know how many of you people have ever had fry bread. I did not know that fry bread was, in fact, traditional among every Indian tribe in America. They just use it in different ways. And he was telling me about the Seminole. The Seminole loved their fry bread with gator tail. And he said the Cherokees like to put honey on it. And he said, of course, the Navajos just like salt on it. And he said the Oglalas like so-and-so. And so, uh, you know, we went into a, uh, you know, a routine there on, uh, on food as well as culture and so many other things but that was just that was one of those fortunate things that happened to you and uh, good old Floyd Red Crow Westerman I mean that conversation was just you know and Susanna and I have both said wow wouldn't it have been wonderful if we could have recorded that conversation it was just fantastic yeah I, I apologize for taking up so much time to relate that but uh, no, no. jump in jump in here guys and help us out here no, that. Uh, Thank that's, you for uh, well, there. Yeah, yeah. That, listen, Mike. That that conversation is dearer to your heart, in your in your mind, in your heart, than it is on a recording or a video. And uh, there's some things that are just so wonderful you can't recapture them, you know. And uh, I I've tried to tell that to people with all that I've been able to see from the seat that I used to sit in. I've seen so many incredible things that I can't even relate them to you. I can't share them, but they're, they're precious and dear. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, what, what the, regrettably, the hard way, what the American people are going to have to uh, experience the consequences they're going to have to experience the meaning of what rightful liberty is and freedom by having it denied of them. They've never invested in it. They've never contributed to it. They've never really, uh, uh, they've, they've never done their duty. They've all they've ever done is, uh, you know, take from a uh, a trust account and the trust account is bankrupt and empty and it's a spiritual and moral bankruptcy and so they they keep simulating and pretending it's artificial uh, recreation of the essence of the idea the mythology of, uh, of uh, freedom and liberty and uh, you know doing one's duty and so since they're 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 bankrupt uh, now they have to bequeath to their future generations the oppression uh, that it comes from a uh, socialist, uh, Marxist, Maoist tyranny. Digital hell uh, won't be a utopia. And 
and so this will have to go through this cycle again. This this horrible cycle. Uh, that's that's the bequeath. That's the legacy. That's the inheritance that you're going to pass on. And what this uh, this fellow, I if I could be so bold as to suggest, Mike, what this fellow has done in this conversation, and sort of what we're talking about, is um, real real empathy. What what real empathy is not the fake stuff, not the stuff that you're forced to do, not the ability to see something from somebody else's moccasins or footprints. Um, you're going to have to, uh, because you had none, and you had no principles in it that you couldn't do for your your neighbor. You didn't love your neighbor. You let the government define what your values were, and we know what those are now. Uh, you're going to have to relearn compassion and empathy, and uh, it's going to be a really hard lesson for you. Well, DW. Uh, one of the comments that uh, Floyd Red Crow Westerman made, and it's always perplexed me to a great extent, not towards him, but he asked us a question. He said, can any society ever expect to obtain that which they have denied to others? Well, it's, a, it's an absolutely, absolutely surgically precise and coherent question, isn't it not? It's, well, the answer is no. <laughs> no, they can't. I have a question. A, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, hi, Michael. Um, Samuel here. I, uh, hey, Samuel. Hi. Uh, I've been reading that there uh there was this guy during the uh, the Constitutional Convention that they called the stranger or the professor. He was in the flag committee uh, proposing how the flag should supposedly. And he was uh, did a roaring so-called speech for those with cold feet to get to sign the declaration. Do you have any idea on any identity on this individual? No, if he exists? none whatsoever. I've read that. I have no idea. I, you know, throughout research, forty years of research, I can't find anyone at this point who could allude to who that was. He was written about by by one of the uh, uh, the the big uh, promoters of uh, Freemasonry, Man Manly P. Hall. Oh yes. Well, There's where's a, the proof it actually happened? There's a piece out there by um, um, a gentleman by the name of Walter Weiss. He's a South African preacher and biologist, etc. And uh, he thinks that that stranger was um, General Ricky from the uh, Jesuit order who was supposedly dead at the time. Hmm. And that his whole, his whole thing was to make sure that this was not a Protestant nation and that we came in where it was wide open so that the uh, Jesuits and the Catholic Church could operate here. Well, let's not forget for a moment here, you know, that how many Masons 
were actually at the Constitutional Convention, and right. that has been documented about the people who were actually Masons. It was led by a 32nd degree Mason, George Washington. And yeah. what is the connection between the Jesuits and Freemasonry? What is the connection between the Jews and Freemasonry as, as we look at it? I know the right. one thing that I remember particularly is that the uh, Masonic Hall in Mena, Arkansas, doesn't fly the U.S. flag. They fly the flag of Israel. You know, when I, I started looking at all of this, Michael, I also started to look at during the Civil War with the influence they have. And Weiss also talks about Lincoln making a statement that all this blood is on the hands of the Jesuits. And then I started looking at, there were 40,000, well, there, again, there were Freemasons on both sides of the line. Oh, yes. A tremendous amount of them. There were um, a whole bunch of, uh, what, 40,000 Irish Catholics fighting for the South. There were a hundred and some thousand in the North. And then you throw in the Germans, there you had like a hundred thousand who were citizens and not 150,000 that weren't, so 250,000 Germans. And, of course, we know that a lot of the people that came out of Bavaria had their leanings, and they certainly were incredibly Jesuit leanings uh, and communist. Well, so. That's true, but uh, let's uh, not forget, in defense of the Irishmen, the great majority of Irishmen who served in the Union Army did so because upon arrival in this country, the men were immediately, if you were a, a foreigner and you were brought into the country, almost immediately, once you landed in New York or wherever you happened to land, you were immediately inducted into the Union Army. And one yeah. of the things that really touched me at the Battle of Fredericksburg, December of 1862, was the, uh, I forget which Georgia unit it was, which was entirely uh, Irish, that was behind the stone wall at Fredericksburg, and they were repulsing the charge of the Northern Irish Brigade led by Mager, and Mager was a criminal in Ireland. But anyway, regardless, and the... Irish behind the stone wall at Fredericksburg had tears going, you know, just running down their faces. They were shooting into the attacking Irishmen of the north. But, you know, if we go back to there was, I'm trying to think of the unit, there was a northern, there were two, at least two, maybe three northern units, divisions in the northern army, which didn't even speak English. And they were the Germans. And so I think today, and that's a parallel I think Americans need to understand. Do you think all of these young men flowing across this southern border are not going to be wearing a uniform of the U.S. government and coming to take what belongs to you? Just like happened during the Civil War? Yeah, it's, 
No need to it, know. It, no need it would to know only take here, a few adjutants nope. in all of those numbers to create the causes. And I was, I forget the name of the other guy, but he actually went to this point, uh, Michael. He said that the people who shot at Stonewall were there for that reason. And that after the amputation, he wanted to stay. Lee forced him to be taken, I guess, back to his home. But he says he was recovering and that the Jesuit doctor killed him. Well, I, I have a little bit of a problem with that because he wasn't taken back home. He was taken to Guinea Station, which was the uh, closest uh, actual neutral zone to where he could be taken. And his doctor was Dr. Hunter McGuire. And McGuire had been faithful to Stonewall Jackson throughout his tenure, uh, in, especially in the Valley Campaign in 1862 and others. I do not okay. believe for a second that Hunter McGuire actually did anything to uh, accept what at that time was accepted medical practice. And when you look into this, it, it is just, you know, you wonder uh, if uh, Stonewall didn't die to get away from the treatment. And that was the fact that yeah. during that epic of American medicine, they believed rightfully so because what Stonewall died of was actually pneumonia after the amputation. But the crazy thing that happened was is that the doctors, the medical terminology at that time said that pneumonia was the filling up of the lungs with fluid, which is correct. But the prognostication at that time, the treatment at that time, was to take heat glasses in uh, boiling water and then to set them on the chest of the person, and they did this to Stonewall, which would create instant blisters. And the medical terminology of the day was is that by piercing those blisters and allowing them to drain, you were actually draining the fluid out of the lungs. God. And so, uh, you know, that had to be an excruciating pain. And I've wondered about that so many times if Stonewall didn't, didn't decide, hey, you know, uh, you know living is uh, more painful than, uh, than dying at this point. But I do not believe for a second there is no history that Hunter McGuire, his doctor, was everything, anything ever but loyal. Now, I don't know any of the other circumstances, but again, if I may relate very quickly a personal experience here. In 1989, I took the month of May, and I decided as a vacation, and I decided I was going to walk in the footsteps of Stonewall Jackson. And so I went from the Battle of First Manassas into the valley, then to the battle near Richmond, and then I went across to Fredericksburg, and then to Chancellorsville, where he was actually shot. Now, I can't find the documentation on this, but the two units that were, had moved into position after Stonewall was out and his men were out, the two units that moved into position were one from Arkansas, one from North Carolina. Now, the story is, unconfirmed, is that after some of these men 
realized that they had in fact actually shot Stonewall Jackson that at least one of those men in fact took his own life thinking that he had killed Stonewall so I don't find any Jesuit influence in that but uh, to relate the personal story and this one has always just totally baffled me I was alone I was standing now Guinea Station where Stonewall actually passed away is no longer open to the public but I stood at the foot of the four-poster bed back in 1989, 88 or 89, I, forget, I can't remember exactly which year, but I stood at the foot of the bed where Stonewall had actually passed away. And as I, it was early May, and I was, as I was there, they had the windows open because they had no air conditioning in the, those old buildings. And I was there at the foot of the bed, and a sparrow flew through the window landed on one of the four posters of the bed not four feet away from me and sat there and chirped chirp 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 and then looked again looked around and then flew back out the window wow I was just awestruck I stood there for a minute and was just well probably more than a minute but I was completely awestruck but I remembered so much what Stonewall said, and my grandfather and I had talked about this, and I told him what Stonewall said, his last words, let us cross over the river and rest beneath the shade of the trees. And my grandfather loved that quote so much, that is what is on his tombstone today. That exact quote from Stonewall Jackson. I, I just can't find, I know I've elaborated here past my point of uh, acceptance maybe, but what I was trying to do is I do not think Hunter McGuire was involved in any way because when I think about the presentation that Hunter McGuire gave in Richmond about Stonewall Jackson, now try to find this on the internet, but Hunter McGuire gave a long speech shortly before his death about what a great pleasure it was and how momentous it was to have been on Stonewall's staff from the very beginning to the very end for him. So, guys, you guys take over. I've blathered on too much here. I, I just want to That's in interesting highlights, that. Michael. I appreciate it. Um, I'd like just to make one more quick statement, and then I'll I'll yield them. The, the this whole thing, you know, like Cal said, you know, it's been going on forever, and I totally have to agree with that, but I think we can boil it down to really one thing. It's the spirit of Christ or the spirit of Antichrist. This is what we face, and it's a spiritual battle, and I think it always has been. I yield. Oh, no doubt. No doubt, Samuel. It was a spiritual battle. Mert, you, were, you had something to say, sweet lady? I'll agree with that, Samuel, for sure, 100%. But this guy, Walter, his last name is uh, Veith. It's, you know, V-E-I-T-H, uh, like Keith, K-E-I-T-H. -E and I, I was sure that was it, but I looked up to see the pronunciation just to make certain before I said something. But he's a Seventh-day Adventist. He was raised uh, Catholic. And uh, and he's, he sort of has a vendetta. <clears throat> he can't see, <clears throat> excuse me, he can't see past Jesuits and Catholics and not even recognizing the Jesuits stem from Judaism. You know, so there's a, there's a lot of uh, kind of uh, uh, 
what do you call it, bias, I guess, <laughs> you know. So uh, he does a lot of good stuff, but uh, that's what I'm saying. And in all his works, you can see that it's the Catholics and the Jesuits. It's, you know, never anyone else, okay? I mean, maybe masonry. They'll blend in with that from time to time, which I want to say, what's up with how many things that are uh, have Masonic influence have bricks for backgrounds? You ever notice that? Like the stuff with George Floyd, they kept passing out this picture with uh, standing in front of a brick wall. And, of course, we had uh, Biden there in Philadelphia at Independence Hall. I didn't watch it, but just the pictures later where they made him turn red light on him so they looked blood red besides. You know, but I think there's I think there's some symbolism there, and, and you have to watch out for that kind of thing, you know. This new black and white series, what do they have for a background? A brick wall. Why? I'm, I'm just saying. Well, there's stone maybe. And all in all, it's just another brick in the wall. <laughs> what it's was Pink right Floyd on to? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, in the yeah. Kubrick movie, uh, Eyes Wide Shut, the uh, St Stanley, I can't think of his name right now, but he played the part of uh, Ziegler. And Ziegler in Yiddish is uh, Bricklayer. Anyway, I yield. <clears throat> well... Uh, those are all good points. Uh, there was a question earlier: Is uh, what do they all have in common? All these uh, disparate groups. Banking. One hundred percent of them. That's you, you, you can right name whatever. You can you can you can name whatever group. Uh, secret society, uh, special club. Uh, NGO organization, any of it, it all goes back to banking. Uh, that's what they all have in common. You can, uh, Israel, banking, Judaism, banking, Theosophy, banking, uh, <clears throat> Masonry, banking, administration. Uh, you know, it's, it's. Uh, you know, uh, everybody wants to pick out their favorite symptom and not and, and avoid the disease because at some point along the way, you're involved in it. Daryl, you, you know, are. banking, banking yeah. we say, but it's really usury. I mean, there are ways of banking yeah. without usury. Yeah. So, well, we've never experienced that. The usury yeah. suspects. Yeah. I mean, capitalism yeah. is usually. It was brought over by the Dutch, well, first to England and then here. It, it's it's one of many forms of it. So, uh, so the, the capitalism is an irrelevant word. It it's meaningless until you put the adjective in front of it. <laughs> okay. It it doesn't mean anything. It it can be. It's the greatest word in the world. It can mean anything you want it to mean until you put the adjective in it. So if I say, if I say sustainable capitalism, if I say inclusive capitalism, now these are words that have been uh, toyed about with lately. What does that mean? What what are what are the origins? Translate that. What is when you sub, 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 sustainable capitalism? And include 
Well, those those are nonsensical words, and most people will just bob their head like like a bobblehead. And and the simple answer for that is it's Marxist capitalism. It's socialist capitalism. What is what is China operating under? Well, it's capitalism, but it's a socialist capitalism. It's Maoist capitalism. So until you put the adjective in front of it, it's the gift that just keeps on giving. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, you, there was a period of time where you could probably identify a short period of time where there was uh, the American capitalism, which was based upon honest weights and uh, relatively honest weights measures, relatively, and labor. But that was a very, very small period. Uh, Mike, Cal, I got a question for you guys. Could we? I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna throw the Molotov cocktail against the, uh, the woodpile here. Uh, is, is Benjamin Franklin the, uh, the uh, precursor to Henry Kissinger? Did, did Benjamin Franklin serve the purpose of Henry Kissinger during his period? And Elon Musk. I heard Mike say he was the Epstein of his day. Yeah, I think uh, I think that is a proper analogy. We could go that way with uh, uh, with uh, Franklin, but I think uh, Franklin was more the Jeffrey Epstein of the uh, of that era. Oh. Wow. Mm. That's that's pretty. That's 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 pretty nasty, isn't it? Hmm. But you got to think about this, people. All this child sacrificing and stuff—it's still here. It's what underlies this whole financial system. It's what the Antichrist likes. And now, uh, just as a uh, peculiar point of view, the uh, wonderful gentleman that provided all of the material which was used for our granddaughter to help her recover from her cancer. You know, he has been just absolutely destroyed in Colorado and the state of Colorado, I may have mentioned this before, but the state of Colorado has made it a felony to produce this cancer-fighting uh, ingredient of cannabis, even though cannabis is supposedly free for recreational and medicinal purposes. But, look, now it's illegal because it has been shown to actually produce these things and so I, I see these people working as hard as they can to try to help other people and then look at the government come after them I this again is just impossible for me to ever understand how anyone could ever embrace a government that would do this how can you embrace a government that would deny people the right or the ability 
to have a material that could help them with their health. And yet we have in this government a group of people called pharmaceuticals who are heavily involved in killing us all. But look how invested they are in government. How can anyone have any more power than did Fauci in his position and Bill Gates? These people who have said they're out there to reduce the population of the planet and they're involved in pharmaceuticals and Americans are so dumb they can't make the connection. I yield. Go ahead, guys. Let's get Cal in here. I just, you know, uh, the way it lays out, you know, on this vector, as DW put it, uh, and you do owe money to the big money jar because you use the word dialectic, so you need to contribute too. Um, on this vector, it sure appears that you know, the country or whatever society, however you want to look at it, is headed for the crash. And as sad as it is, as bad as it is, part of me is going, well, that's just rightfully so. If people choose to be ignorant, then I suppose they deserve the consequences of that ignorance. Isn't that how natural law works? Supposed to. Well, you can only, you know, you can only live in this altered state or mythology for so long before reality takes over. And you know, as much power the smartest people think they are, they ain't got nothing on Mother Nature. They ain't got nothing on the Creator. Nothing. Mm. And people just aren't. Old, uh, uh, like I say, if you accept rightful liberty and pursue that, things will fix themselves. And I believe that because I believe in rightful liberty because I believe in the creator that endowed it to all mankind, not just Americans, all mankind. And I firmly believe that. And that's my reality. And I guess if, if it's wrong, then I will suffer the consequences for that belief. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I'd probably have to agree with you uh, a whole bunch. I just uh, a whole bunch. Myself, I don't. I, I just don't believe. I just don't believe the uh, the majority of the people that should be paying attention have any idea of what rightful liberty is, Cal. You might as well. You might as well be ordering some foreign uh, exotic food dish. Or do they care? They don't. They really don't. They they uh, they really just uh, care about their own uh, self-interest and narcissistic self. So their idea of freedom and liberty is what's in it for me, and how much can I get, and uh, I don't care what we do as long as I and my kids come out on top, and uh, and then the rest of them are, you know, they have their own reasons too. But that's a big motivator. Uh, which way is the wind blowing, and uh, can I game this? Can I be a climber? Can I be a – how do I participate on, in this uh, situation and still profit? 
and that comes before any of this abstract nonsense about rightful liberty. Now, of course, you know I'm saying that from a from facetiously. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm not. Yeah, uh, and so I I I think you're using uh, it's it's a. I think it's extremely important, but I, I think it's uh, not. Um, they, they they don't have any comprehension of the, of what that that implies. You know, in, in the in the in the Bible, it says, uh, "You were paid for uh, by a price. Your freedom and liberty was paid for." You had no debts, uh, and then you sold yourself back into slavery. And uh, Galatians five one. You know, a, a new phone, yeah, a new phone, uh, a new car, a bigger house. Um, you know, uh, how do I? How do I? How do I be a 20 or 30 or 40 or 60, 80, or whatever age you are? Oh, you know, I I need a new girlfriend. I need a new wife. I need uh, I need a new husband. I need I'm not satisfied. I need to change or I need something else. Uh, but I still want to call myself a Christian so I can go to the social gathering. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's I'm I'm making everybody mad again. I Good would, for you. Know, you. Uh, okay. I just I gotta take a little detour here, just a minute. Um, there was something that kind of I was up at 4:30 this morning, and uh, and uh, around five o'clock it, it sort of I don't know why, but it sort of dawned on me. I said, you you know you do realize, Daryl here, that uh, we're living through this. Um, philosophical and psychological construct of philosophers from um, philosophers from the 1500s to 1600s to 1700s to 1800s and the implementers really got busy in the 1900s but we're 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 living this these abstractions of philosophy that came down from guys like Spinoza, Rousseau, Kant, um, Hegel, uh, Hobbes, and uh, Nietzsche, and so on and so forth. These are all these philosophers, and whether or not they had a good idea, some of them had a good idea or not, it's every time that they did, if there was a good idea in there at some point, uh, it was weaponized, okay, and and people are actually living in this recipe of stew, and they don't even know who these people are. Of course, you would have to you would have to know a little bit about history, wouldn't you? Uh, to to recognize that, wouldn't you, Mike? You'd have to know. Oh yeah. Well, guys, I was just thinking about something here. We have been uh, blathering on here for an hour and forty some minutes, and uh, you know we've only had a couple of uh, chime-ins from uh, Samuel and uh, others. Uh, 
I think we owe it to our uh, listeners here, uh, the people who are in with us, to contribute their comments for the last uh, 15 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. Hey, Mike. Oh. Hey, Liz. Can, you can hear me? I got a new headphone, so didn't know if it was working. It's working. Um, comment on what you said at the beginning. Uh, I'm not sure everybody is oblivious, you know, oblivious to what's going on, and I think there's a lot, like 50, at least 50 to more percent, but there are some that keep thinking they can fix it by voting. Uh, um, I have a... I have a friend of mine that comes over every Wednesday. We do Bible study. And um, I know his daughter and grandchildren are very active in the political arena, not necessarily con uh, contributing, you know, being a part of it, but uh, promoting, you know, different people and, you know, voting for this and voting for that. and. I think that is what we have been indoctrinated to believe that uh, that this is going to change something, that there's some good guy out there. They don't want to be in the mindset that there's no remedy for what's going on. I that's that's the opinion I at least get from them because I don't really talk too much to a lot of people. There's only a few that I talk to. Um, mainly because they just don't want to hear it, like you said. So, <laughs> so let's say there's eighty percent and twenty, eighty <laughs> percent that don't want to hear it, and twenty percent that might listen a little bit, but. Are you sure, you know, and you're being so, um, what's the word, depressing, I guess is the word, uh, about what's going on, and you, you just can't get through to them. You know, they, they don't understand about just stepping back and stepping away from the whole uh, government. It's 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 I guess in a sense it's replaced our God, regardless of whether you claim you're a Christian and you really believe in God is the main thing of the main thing, but government is still part of the God thing. Uh, what is it Romans fifteen or whatever that Romans passage 13. is? Yeah, that you, you and it depends on what. Bible you look at as far as the interpretation for that. But, um, yeah, I yield. Thanks, Liz. Anyone else hey, uh, in the group Mike. there? Go ahead. Can you hear me? This is Dave Scorpio. Can you guys hear me? Oh, sure, Dave. How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm hanging in there. Hanging in there. Living in a, a free-range open-air insane asylum known as America. Uh, but, um, Guys, you know, this has been a really interesting conversation. I, I've heard pretty much the whole thing. Um, one thing that I would like to hear discussed, I know we're running out of time here, but, you know, capitalism as we know it will always 
enter into uh, a, a monopolistic oligarchy. Uh, so given that we allow these corporations to exist in the way that they do, they will always strive to have a monopoly. And I, I, I contend that we already live in a monopolistic oligarchy. We have the appearance of competition amongst these big corporations, but when you dive into BlackRock and State Street and uh, Vanguard, you realize that these huge companies have a piece of every major corporation out there, period, end of story. So we already are in a monopolistic, uh, capitalistic system. So how is that really different than communism? There is no difference. Exactly. That's exactly. So, we're, we're, you know, it's been a great conversation talking about, you know, this this evil entity known as government and what a scam it is. But as long as we have these mega corporations that are becoming so powerful, they're actually, I, I would say, you know, part of the government now. They're, I mean, they're, they're, they really have merged. So we also have sort of this, if you want to call it fascist, you know, it's international fascism. It's not any kind of nationalism. So I, I don't know how do we just how do we move forward? I mean, given that all these corporations are already part of the government, essentially the big ones are, and they're already <clears throat> into the monopolistic stage. Well, Dave, uh, I, <clears throat> this was designed from the very beginning, my friend. This was this was part <clears throat> of the constitutional culture of America. Let's not forget that John Adams said uh, for the Federalist Party is that the party was the party of the people who owned the country. And then you have uh, John Jay who said that the people who rule the country should be the people who own the country. And Alexander Hamilton talked repeatedly of the wealthy and the well-born. Right. And he, he said that they should always be tied to government. And he made sure, as Secretary of Treasury, that he established that. So well, these it, these corporations are always going to run it, Dave, under the Constitution. Yeah. Absolutely, and and now it's even worse than, like you know, you said that the people that that uh, rule the country should own it. Well, we, we don't even have that anymore. I mean, this is all international. You have people, uh, really, who are completely foreign to any any ideals or precepts Americans have in completely foreign in every way uh, as the owners of the country and many of them are actually hidden covertly. Well Dave here's one of the things when you say that it makes me think of something that happened at the convention and that was the fact that the Quakers sent to Benjamin Franklin uh, you know who the Jeffrey Epstein of the day they sent to him a letter requesting that he petition the Constitutional Convention to abolish slavery. Of course, he ignored that and he did not read it because there was too much money being made from slavery to outlaw slavery. So he wasn't about to do that. But he did read a letter from Jonas Phillips, who was the head of the synagogue of Philadelphia, about doing away with the Christian oath so that Jews could serve in government. And of course they right away made sure in Article 6, Clause 3 that they did such. 
So right. this 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 government has been socialist since 1787, or since the Constitution was ratified by New Hampshire in 1788. It has been socialist. It was socialist from the beginning. This is what upsets me about all these people who come. Oh man, we were just in great shape until Abraham Lincoln became president. Well, if that is true, then what tools did Abraham Lincoln used to impose all of his draconian measures on America. The Constitution. But people can't see that. No, it's not it's not the machine, it's not the government, it's the people in government is what they keep telling me over and over again. Well that is like that old argument, well it's not you know, who who actually pulls the trigger on government? It's the people that are in charge. And, you know, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1, unlimited taxation. That is the pivot point for socialism, which in essence says I can take anything you make at any time I want in any quantity that I want for any purpose that I want. How anyone can imagine that they're not living under slavery with a system like that is beyond my is beyond my comprehension. The only thing I can tell you, and I'm sorry, I hope I didn't interrupt you too much there, Dave. The only thing I can tell you is I'm beginning to feel exactly like my grandfather did when he told me, boy, I'm glad I'm not going to be around here much longer because I wouldn't want to see what you're going to see if you live to be anywhere near as old as I am today. Mm. Well, yeah, well, and, you know, uh, I've reached the conclusion that there is no reforming this system. It is not possible to reform. This system has to be ultimately destroyed somehow. Dave, how can you fix something that was designed to be broken? Well, right. There, There is no redemption through uh, any kind of political... Uh, mechanisms here uh, it's just not possible and we're, we're heading into what we have covert slavery we're heading into what I would say overt slavery very very soon uh, and um, with, with this with this open border the the possibilities are, are endless as to what is going to happen between violence or not even that just taking over jobs in the culture through a de facto open border now I mean and they've actually turned the immigration system or the so-called border control agents into processing agents to help these people uh, get processed, get them a cell phone, and um, get them uh, a free apartment. I mean, it's really quite amazing. Well, here you are. I, uh, would, I, would, yeah, I got uh, a little bit of a comment. In the, in the I, I, I think capitalism is one thing to talk about, but in reality, what we suffer from is what they call commerce and how they apply it to us. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good topic. It's a rose by any other name. Topic. It's a big topic. Uh, in the 1990s, uh, Bill Clinton referred to this, uh, what we're experiencing by the innocent-sounding term the process of, of corporate globalization. I think he was using that expression in his first term. 
Oh, wow. Corporate globalization. Anybody remember that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, and then the Bushes, they were all on board with uh, the New World Order. David Rockefeller puts it in his memoirs. You know, I mean, look, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So since you wouldn't drink... We're we're trying to salt your oats, and try to <laughs> get you thirsty. And uh, I I did I'm gonna I'm gonna say this one last thing, and then I'm gonna shut up. I found that quote that I thought was so, so important earlier. It was uh, it was uh, by a Frenchman named Pascal in the 1600s. He wrote uh, referring to uh, the English, I think. Men, men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. Hey, can I add something? Real quick. Yes. The, well, you're never going to have a decent economy as long as you got something called the Federal Reserve controlling it or creating your ups and downs and picking winners and losers. The Fed's been doing that since their inception. Well, the Feds actually were created in 1781 with the Bank of North America, and then, uh, of course, they were renewed under the U.S. Bank under uh, Alexander Hamilton. So we've always had the Fed. The belief that the Fed only came into existence in 1913 is one of those great fallacies, folks. I'm going to jump in here because we've got about a minute and a half left. Um, number one, next week is going to be a, a special tribute to um, Martin and Holiday. And number two, I apologize to Mike and Murr and DW and anybody else that was trying to find out uh, which platform we were going to be on today. Um, I have a show on Thursday mornings from 10 to noon, and I've got an hour to get everything done from that one uploaded and whatnot before this show starts. And I was scrambling. I didn't see emails and text messages and that kind of thing. But um, most people are back on Jitsi now. It is working. And... I think from this point forward, starting Monday, I'm going to, I'll keep both platforms open because the people that call in on the phone uh, can get in a lot easier on free conference call. But I'm going to ask that the main body of folks, the folks that are using their computers and microphone and that kind of thing, use Jitsi. Uh, that way it's easier to have more everybody on this one platform as much as possible. And uh, it, it doesn't do it on this show or on Thursdays, but the rest of the week when I share my screen and do videos and things like that, from this point forward, I'm only going to share screen on Jitsi. I'm not going to do it on free conference call. So if you want to see the videos I show and things like that, then you'll need to be on Jitsi to see them. Uh, the folks that are on uh, calling in on free conference call, I know Dave, number one, is visually impaired, so he's not going to need to see the videos. And uh, there aren't that many usually calling in. But uh, I will keep free conference call open so that uh, people that need to call in on their phones can do it a lot easier uh, through free conference call than they can on Jitsi. Uh, so that's pretty much where we're going to go from here forward. I have updated the website to say that. So uh, from now on, primarily Jitsi and free conference call only if you're calling in on the phone. I <laughs> want to thank everybody for being here. Take care of your bodies because it's the only place you have to live. We will see you all next week. Take care and God bless. Thanks, Sarge. 
Yep.